the book of Acts, accentuating an element as we gaze into these passages, and that's the element of seeking to find normal. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a man or woman of God? What does it mean to be a young person who's encountered the living God? What's normal in that category? Because we're living in a world that is dumbing down normal faster than we can get an update. In every category of life, normal is changing radically. And we need to be updated on what's, what's normal for a Christian. You know, I was, had this encounter with my son, my five-year-old. He'd be embarrassed that I'm mentioning him. But he and I were in the bathroom last night, and he walks up to the scale, and he gets on, gets off, and he, he can't read it, so he's kind of coming back at me. And I walk over and say, 38 pounds. And he asks the question that every five-year-old should ask at that point. Is that good? <laughs> you know, yeah, no. 138 pounds, 68 pounds. Know, you know, hey, am I in the range here? Is this, is this normal? Right? I mean, if I stood up this morning and I said, hey, your cholesterol is 500. How many of you guys would just be all right with that? Right? I mean, some of you have no idea. Cholesterol, I've never had it checked. I don't even know. If I, if I said your, your credit score is 99, <laughs> would you go, wow, really? 99, like out of 100? Uh, no, that's not how your credit score works. So you, don't, you need a reference point for normal. Before you can get all excited, you look at your Christian life and, you know, you got a little prayer thing happening here, interaction with God happening here, witness thing thing. What is that looking like for you? Uh, engagement of the church, what does that look like for you in your life? Extending your hands to pray for people. Do you see power? Sin is in your life. In what way? How is it influencing you? What's controlling you? What's not? Are you normal, right? You're, you're Christian. You're getting on the scale. You're getting off and you're going, is that good? Depends on who you ask, right? You ask somebody who's nominal in their faith, who says they're a Christian, but you can't find Jesus anywhere. Are you normal? They're more than likely going to tell you, oh, yeah. You're very normal. As a matter of fact, you're exceptional. I don't want them telling me what normal is. I want to open this Bible, and I want to find normal. And on the pages of the book of Acts, I find normal. And so that's what we're looking for as we look through this. You know, I thought as, you know, beginning of the year, what's, what's a good start of the year passage? You know, I had, our intention was to continue just in the book of Acts, but I think where we are in Acts provides an excellent beginning of the year passage for us. But if I asked you, what would be a good beginning of the year passage for you? All right, we're starting the new year. You've been inundated with all those new year themes new exercise programs, there's a new you, there's a new year, there's getting rid of clutter, there's getting your life organized, there's all that advertising themes that take place, a chance for something new to start in your life in 2013. And, and that's good. I do like points like that where I can press the reset button and, and just kind of regroup in some categories. You need to do that. This is a chaotic world. Things fall apart if you leave them alone. It's a good thing to Press the reset button. But, but here's also a reality. January 1st, a new year, but it's also just the next day. 
It's just Tuesday. Previous year is over. Well, yeah, but last yesterday was Monday. Today's Tuesday. Stuff of 2012. I lived life in 2012. You lived life in 2012. You lived life in a fallen world where you encountered sickness. You encountered conflict in relationships. You encountered stress in your life. You encountered difficulties and questions. You, you endured a losing season. Right, which, by the way, welcome to all of you who have been worshiping at our Superdome campus during the fall. It's great to have you back amongst the real saints of God. We don't have a losing record. Ours is this perfect win streak every day. You know, welcome. Good to have you. Nice to see you. Be an altar call for you later to repent of all the times that you've missed being here. And and take this take this with you into next year. Your presence there didn't give us a winning season. Hey, all right? So I just think next year, stay home, come to church, watch the game at home. Uh, probably less freaked out, less bothered by the season. I don't know if you've done that, but just some advice for next year. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Right, these, are, these are people living this life in a fallen world where things aren't going right all the time. 2013 is going to have a lot of stuff that 2012 had in it. Matter of fact, for some of us, we're in the midst of stuff going on in our lives that started in the fall, and it's just in process. It's just playing out. So the new year didn't fall at a moment where anything feels new. It just feels like it's continuing in our lives. And so we're facing stuff right now that we need some help with how do we look at it. And we're going to get a great lesson from these folks here. Acts 4, verse 23. When they were released, right? Remember where these guys were? They were been released from jail. These are, these are people got saved. These are apostles who are following Christ. And next thing you know, they stand up to explain the resurrection. And they find themselves in jail. And don't, don't skip by that too fast. I mean, here's a quick poll for you. Come on, be honest. How many of you have actually been in jail? Come on, just raise your hands for a second. How many of y'all have actually been arrested and you've been in? Come on, raise your hands high. We need to know who you are. Okay, be careful where you sit next week when you come. <laughs> Might section you guys off and put you where there's armed guards or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. TC, did you raise your hand? All right, okay. Just wanted to check. <laughs> uh, all right, listen, if, if, if you've been to jail, right, I've not been to jail apart from visiting guys in jail, but yeah, I, I should have been, you're right, you're right, the grace of God, as grace of God, um, but you imagine you're just this normal citizen, next thing you know, you're, you know, you're being fingerprinted and you're being thrown in jail with, with people that kind of aren't, well, what are you doing here, what are you doing here? How'd you get in here? I was preaching in public in the name of Jesus. How'd you get here? Uh, and he, you know, he talks about his sword that he used on somebody's head. Right, a little different setting. And that's the reality. So these guys have just been released. When they were released, they went to their friends. 
and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Remember, they threatened them, do not keep preaching in the name of Jesus. Because we've already thrown you in jail once, and you know what we're capable of. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, thank you for preserving this reality, this story, this encounter of your people. For us to be reading a couple of thousand years later because there's truth here that needs to inform our lives today. Lord, for we are a people threatened by life. And we want to know how to respond. What's the normal response when the people of God are threatened by life? Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, remember for a moment, before I consider us for a second, what, what this threat had to have felt like for these guys. You know, sometimes we read, we impose a lot of our view, our understanding upon the Scripture when we read it. So we're reading the Bible as Christians. If you will, in this moment, they weren't living their life as Christians, right? That term's not even been used yet. And when it was used, it was a little bit of a derogatory term when it got started, but in this setting, who are these guys who are having this encounter, having this moment? Well, they're, they're Jews. They're Jews who have taken up their Bible and have encountered the anointed one. They've come to understand that what's been spoken of for years and years and years, as far back as the Old Testament writings go, there was a day when one person anointed by God the Messiah, God himself, come to earth to save man would come. That was, that was the Jewish religion. That's what they encountered. So their understanding in these first few pages, well, it's given away right in the beginning of Acts. Do you remember when Jesus has been resurrected and they encounter the resurrected Christ, they ask a question of him. Do you remember what it was? Jesus, is it now that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. What did they think was going to be happening when Jesus was resurrected? He's the Messiah. Yes, we believe that. He's come to restore things to God. Yes, we believe that. So they thought they were Jews living in the continuation of what Judaism always taught. They didn't have this mindset that, oh, 
cool, I guess we're going to have to break with Judaism now. I guess, I guess now's the day, Acts chapter 2, now's the day that the Christian church gets formed. No, they, they thought they were Jews just taking the next step. The day of the Messiah has come. And so when they go out into the Jewish world and begin to proclaim this message, there's a little bit of a sense that they're thinking, this is going to be welcome news. We've been waiting for this all our lives. And if anybody's going to get it, it's going to be the high priest and the scribes and the, the leaders, the elders of the people of Israel. They're going to get it, and they're going to celebrate with us, and we're going to advance the cause. It's now that God is restoring the kingdom to Israel. They thought they were Jews living in fulfillment. And suddenly, it's the Jews who are throwing shackles on them and throwing them in jail and opposing them and threatening them. Right, so can you, you imagine being in that setting? We're, we're being ostracized by the only faith we've ever understood and known and been a part of, and we live in a land of Roman oppression. The Romans eat for lunch people who don't go with the program here, and they've, they've sort of given a little bit of permission to the Jews to not go with the program fully, and now we're not even considered Jews. Now we're being put out of the group that we've been protected by. We're on our own. This is a threatening situation. Life is very threatening in this moment for them. Now listen, you're walking into 2013 here. If I were to ask you a little bit about 2012 and I were to say, hey, go back in 2012 and think, and please do this while I'm saying this to you. In what ways were you threatened by life in 2012? I titled this message, Dialoguing with Difficulty. These guys are about to have a conversation with difficulty in life, with threatening situations in life. Uh, you and I encountered threats, all right? Go back into your year. What threatened you? What made you afraid and anxious and feeling intimidated? You might suffer loss. The wheels might come off of my life. And if you were texting, you'd say, OMG, <laughs> we are going to die. I mean, that's what these guys could have been thinking. We, we're going to die. These people don't play. They're politically connected. They could take us out. They took Jesus out. They can take us out. Or, or maybe your threats come from your finances. OMG, we're, we're going we're to lose the house. We, we, can't, we can't make our payments here on whatever it is that we've got to pay for in our lives. Or we're, we're going to end up divorced. And then I'm going to live the rest of my life apart from my family. OMG. Something's happened in your life in 2012 that you were threatened by to think, there's no way I can be happy if this stays the way it is. All right, everybody in touch with 2012 right now? Well, these guys are encountering that threat in their lives. And their response, what, what, what is their response? This is, this is informing. This is helpful. This is insightful. This is the normal response 
Why is it normal? It's not normal for me. It's normal because of what we sang about, and there's a reason why we sing about stuff. Uh, I am alive, I am alive in you, or you are alive, you are alive in me. Now, when you sing that song, I'm singing that song, and I'm collecting all my encounters with weakness in this world. Stuff I don't seem to be able to manage. Stuff about me. Stuff about life. And I'm facing it uh, and I'm reminded that I fail. That I'm a wimp. I want to run from stuff. I'm complaining. I don't see any change or hope in that. And then I sing that song. And I just, mm, there's a boldness in my heart. That's right. God, what am I thinking? You are alive in me. You are alive in me. If it was just me, boy, yeah, sad, terrible day. But you are alive in me. Why can these guys respond to such a threatening situation the way they do? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They're living in the promise. It's just not just a human response here. It's a normal spirit-empowered response. That we read about. This is normal, right? Just not treat it like none of us can attain to this. This is this is normal. So, question: How would they begin their dialogue with difficulty? They've come together with their friends. They've shared this threat. Daryl Box says the early portion of the prayer here shows the community thinking theologically about what is taking place. I love that phrase. It shows human beings thinking theologically because the naturalness of our life, it screams at us and it's noisy and squeaky and it doesn't go away and it's background noise. It never stops. And in the moment when it makes its presentation to you and it threatens you and your life and the future of what God has for you, do you stop and think theologically or do you just get on board with the natural noise and consider it and entertain it? This is for the Christian, the normal starting point for engaging life is to think theologically, God-oriented in our thinking. Listen, you're not going to get that response by watching Dr. Phil and Oprah. Right? I mean, that's the, these shows, what they are now is they're, they're presentations of life's difficulties followed by dialogue and solutions. Right? That's what they are. And, you know... Mix in there a little personality. You know, those of you who like somebody who's kind of a little edgy in your face, you like Dr. Phil then, don't you? Right? Because he's kind of he's up in your business. He's telling you. He'll, you know, he'll remind you it's his show. You know, you can't get too outspoken with him. He'll put you in your place. It's tough love. He's kind of, so if you're kind of recognizing, hey, that's a needed element, you're kind of drawn to Dr. Phil's answers. Or if you just like to be stroked and everything's beautiful in its own way, Oprah kind of does it for you. But when you listen to life being encountered by these individuals, they don't start with God. Quite honestly, they almost never involve God at all. And if you're not careful, you begin to think that's how to engage life. That made sense. Hey, he's got some good ideas there. Hey, walk down this road, do this thing. But if God's not in the equation, then... Whatever you're trying to do is wrong because God was intending to be the center of all things. He's not a bleacher bum. He's not just looking to look on and watch your life from a distance. He's supposed to be the center of it all. And there's no way you can understand your life apart from making him the center. Philip Jensen, 
in his book, Men of God, states this, helpful for men, helpful for all of us, though. It says, at the, at the opening of the 21st century, there's a great confusion in the Western world as to what it means to be a man. The world's understanding is in direct opposition to the Bible's view. A world which excludes God can only define man in terms of biological man, sensual man, or economic man. An incredibly narrow outlook, which in practice means that man can never rise above himself. The secular philosopher Alexander Pope wrote, The proper study of mankind is man. An entirely logical conclusion for the humanist in the absence of a personal and creator God, but one full of futility and ultimately utterly devoid of hope. Listen, if you want to know why you had a hard time singing about hope this morning, it's because you're, you're looking into the future and considering life with your resources available to you. What is my hope of producing a good life in the future? What can I do to make that happen? And what can the people around me do with their resources to make my life a better life? And then you begin to rehearse their resume and your resume. And, and it's a hopeless scenario, isn't it? Aren't you familiar enough with yourself to know that you, know, you just don't go on a win streak for very long? I can pull something off for a little while and then I, do, I can bury it in a ditch too. Eventually, that's just that's what I'm capable of. So I'm, I'm 48 years old. I've kind of figured out my tricks. I know me. I'm I'm not any a self encouraging thing in me. I know what I'm like. You know enough about yourself to know yourself that way. So if all we have is the study of mankind as man, then you don't have any hope. It's just a futile prospect. Conversely, it is this same Creator. This God who defines what it means for man to be man. So the first thing that's got to happen is you and I dialogue with difficulty. Face the threats in this world. Is any understanding of the events of life must begin with getting God correctly in the picture. God must be correctly in the picture. You and I must confront our life and we must immediately think theologically. Right? I don't know if I had a, if I had a picture of your life... We could put it up and frame it up on the screen here, and you were looking at that, and you located you, and you located some of the players around. Where, where would God be in the frame? Would he be in the frame? Would he be at the edge of the frame? Most of us, many Christians, I think, would say, yeah, well, he's in the picture. He's just at the edge of the picture. I'm living life with my resources, my abilities, natural-minded but God's at the edge. of the, He's at least in the, he's in my life. Yeah, sure. God's there somewhere. I, I appeal to God on occasion. I'm looking to him. I cry out. But is he the first thought that you come to? Well, look at the first thought. They've been threatened. Look in verse 24 now. And when they heard it, they heard these threats, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign. This, this is how they saw life. These things have cried out to us, telling us, here's the future you've got. If you speak in his name, okay, transfer that into your life. If you live for God and for his glory, life threatens you somehow. You keep doing that, it's not going to be pretty. That's the scream of life. And they encounter that and their first Engagement of that is to start with sovereign Lord. 
I want to I call that, that's the, that's the lens of life. You're a Christian, right? You know, you're all a little blurry right now. Right? Life, is, life is blurry for the Christian un- until he puts on the lens of sovereign Lord. Right? I look at you one way when God is not sovereign. I look at my relationships. I look at my abilities. I look at my future. When God, God's sovereignty is out of the picture, and I look at you, and I look into my future, I look one way. But then when I, I put on the lens of the sovereignty of God, I begin to see things differently, don't I? I see God for who God is. This is when you stop seeing God for who God is, you're in desperate shape to try and have hope for your future. That's the most critical thing. Derek Thomas says, it's interesting that the early Christians did not employ the word father or even Jesus at this point. They were being threatened with imprisonment. And what they needed to know was, is our God able to deal with their threats? Is he powerful enough? They were in need of something more than warm feelings or a deity that simply brought them in touch with their inner strengths. Listen, that's, that's what you hear by a lot of sort of positive motivation churches. It's about just motivating you to get in touch with your inner strength to make your future a better future. That's not where they start. What was in view here was sovereign Lord. The word there is despotes, despot. A a ruler of unchallengeable power. That's how they saw God in this moment. And that made a huge impact on how they felt about what was taking place. The players and the people in their lives. Verse 25. The sovereign Lord. They describe this way. Here's, here's the resume of the sovereign Lord. He made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Which means he's, he's the creator and originator and controller of every molecule that exists anywhere. You understand there's not a rival cell. There's not a rival atom in the universe that introduced itself into God's universe. He created it all. The large and the small. The sovereign Lord has control over it all. And they remind themselves of this. Who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right? This, there's, there's a God involved here who is a certain way. He is reigning and ruling over our lives. He is in control of our lives. He's in control of the people in our lives. Uh, where do we get this idea? This is, this is how we kind of feel when it comes to God being in control of all things. We're fine with God being in control with everybody who is cooperating with him. Aren't we? I mean, you got husbands and wives in your lives. you got relationships. you got people in your life. As long as that person is seeking God, volunteering for God's purposes, they got a prayer life going on, they're reading their Bible, they're doing their best to put off sin and put on righteousness. Now that's a guy that we can believe that God could accomplish his sovereign purpose through that person, right? Come on. 
I mean, let me just stick somebody in your life who doesn't do any of those things. They don't pursue God. They got no prayer life. They don't give God the time of day. They got a lot of self-interest going on. And they're front row seats influencing your world and the world you live in. And we're in a panic. Because they won't do the will of God. How can the will of God take place in my life? Isn't that what we're saying? How can my future possibly be any good when when they're involved in what it's going to be in the future? Right? Where do we get the idea that God can only use those things in the universe that fully cooperate with him? Those things that believe and acknowledge him. Those things that put him first. Those things that don't ever fail. Right? Isn't this where our wheels come off of believing in God being in control of things? But what if somebody in my life isn't motivated for God's purposes? What if they don't love and pursue God? Well, okay, have you checked out the cast of characters in this uh, story right here? You got anybody there you're impressed with? Right, we'll run through them real quick. You got raging Gentiles and plotting people. There's raging Gentiles, angry, contentious, ballistic, and plotting people. Right, just think, plotting people. You guys got any plotting people? You talk about anybody who's done something behind your back this past year? Somebody who betrayed you and you discovered that what they were saying about you behind your back, you got all freaked out by that. You had no idea that sovereign Lord was in that. These are plotting people behind the scenes. They've been lying and manipulating. Hey, Judas, we'll we'll give you some money on the side here if you'll turn him over to us. Look, we just want to ask you some questions. That's all. Plotting behind the scenes, corrupt in their hearts. That's who's in this passage that the sovereign Lord is ruling over. Kings and rulers. Who are these guys? Kings and rulers. I had to write this out and put it in your outline because we are so intimidated by people sometimes. These are arrogant, system-abusing, politically connected people with persuasion, people with power over other people. They're touching your life. They're touching my life. How many times do we bump into a call to be at peace with our future, with our circumstances, that we we greet that admonition with, well, you don't understand because you're not married to. That's easy for you to say because you don't understand the people I'm dealing with. Didn't that our trump for this? We We get called to trust God big for the future. No, 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 no. You don't understand who's involved in my situation that overrules any sense of what God might do. You understand, they did the, exactly the opposite. Bring on the raging Gentiles, the plotting people, the kings and rulers. Hey, matter of fact, give them names, verse 27. Herod and Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, the people of Israel. Right, everybody had an angle in this. Everybody was working their own agenda in these people's lives and in the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, what was, what was Pontius Pilate's angle? What was Herod's angle in this? These guys were political leaders, saving face, trying to figure out what the mob wanted, playing to the people, playing to what was popular. 
can, can you go with me here that there's not a, a person listed by name here who was spending any time on their knees, crying out to the living God, saying, set before me is this person named Jesus Christ. What should I do? You think Herod prayed that way? You think Pilate played that way? And yet they turned around and they did exactly what God wanted them to do. Be quite honestly, you really get let in on something here. The strategy of God uh, does not get fully revealed to man. Because had you known, doesn't the Bible say this in Acts? Had you known, you wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But then again, what you knew and how much you knew was controlled by somebody besides you. So that you do exactly. Isn't that what this verse says? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Listen, here's the ugly reality. There's people in our lives with names. They're probably not Herod and Pontius Pilate. But they got names. And they're in our lives. They got motives for doing what they're going to do. They got agendas. They got strong feelings about stuff. They're working some kind of an angle. And, and, And be warned, be warned like never before be warned. You live in a world that's using people more, I think, than I've ever seen people get used in my lifetime, maybe in other lifetimes. But you live in a culture that's so self-dominated and self-oriented that everything that exists exists to further my interests. And so therefore, if you come into my radar, you exist to further my interests, and I will use you. I will learn how to do it nicely. I will learn how to stroke you. I will learn how to use the right words and build you up. But at the end of the day, what I'm after from you is what will take me where I want to go. And you want to discover the reality of that? Get in the way of where people want to go. And see how loyal they are to you. See how long they'll stick around. See how many good things they continue to have to say about you. If you're in the millennial generation, I am singing your song. I've never never seen such disloyalty of people who move from one group to the next group to the next group, to the next group. And the weirdest thing is you publish it on Facebook. You do, you go public with it. So that, you know, at one point in your life, this was your people. And then months later, ain't none of those people your people anymore. These are your people. And then months later, they're not your people anymore. These are your people. How, what the? <laughs> you know, I understand how, how, what a joy it was when we had our testimony service on Sunday night a week ago. To listen to Jane come up here and say, I'm going on the church plant with my son. And it's hard for me to leave because I've been in this church for 27 years. 27 years. And I'm pretty sure along the way she was disappointed, let down. People didn't further her cause and stick with her. But she stuck with those relationships. And that is becoming unheard of in this world. Guard ourselves from that. Be aware that you're going to bump into people in your life. They've got an agenda. They've got a motive. They're up to something. 
And you're going to become aware of that. And you're going to feel like you're, you're the victim on the end of somebody who doesn't have God's purpose in mind for you. They're not in your life trying to further what God's trying to do in your life. And your temptation in that threatening moment is going to be, well, I can't get where God wants me to be. Can you remember this passage? These people weren't after what God wanted. But how amazing is it when we get to verse 28? They all came together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This plan came together exactly as God ordained it. I almost have this picture in my mind. A bunch of strangers who disconnected, right? I mean, you got Jews and Gentiles. You got Pontius Pilate and Herod. And it's almost as though God gathered them all together, threw instruments, musical instruments into their hands they'd never played before, and they all blew their first note, and it was all perfectly on key. And they played a symphony together. Never practiced, never played an instrument, didn't even know each other. But when God was done with them, they played the song note for note, exactly the way he had planned it. Do you understand all that would have had to have taken place here? You've got a bunch of people involved. You've got to have the right kind of corrupt people involved in this equation. This wasn't even in Louisiana. Can you imagine the difficulty of pulling off this kind of corruption somewhere else besides here? I mean, what, what if Jesus is getting taken place to place and these threats are being made and the guy really does, I mean, he trumped up charges, lies. What if, what if one day somebody was in a mood to do the right thing? Can you imagine? Just derail the whole thing. Herod just decides, oh, I'm in, a, I'm in a good mood. I should do what's right today. Or Pilate was on vacation that day. He's just not in, or he's sick. Or he's in, he's in a different mood. He's just in a mood to bless everyone. Let him go. Let him go. I mean, do you understand? God was in control of every detail. He was in control of the day Pilate was born and the family that he was in and the way he was raised so that one day he would be the Roman procurator who would have a particular temperament and view of life so that he would stand one day in the council of God's purposes and do exactly what God ordained for him to do with his life. Do you understand God was in control of every moment who Pilate's parents were, the kind of ideas he got around, the books he read when he was a kid? Herod, too. The high priest. Listen, God was in control of every detail of this event. That's what these folks run to in this moment. We're being threatened. Wait, let us remember something. Sovereign Lord in control of every moment of every person's life that's ever existed. That's what they bring to this moment. Theologically, there's a little bit of a challenge in that, isn't there? For me to stand in front of your life with all the stuff that goes on in it and just say, God is in control of not just the big picture in the end, actually revelation closes the way it does. If you think that through carefully, that day cannot be assured unless every day and every moment of every day can be accounted for. So God is in control of every detail, of every moment, of every person's life. Now, now don't do this, because let's learn a lesson from these guys. Don't, don't, uh, don't say, okay, you know what, I, I, you know, I 
brain's only so big here. I'm encountering this theological thought of sovereign Lord, which is obviously very important. That's where they started their prayer. Am I going to end up in a ditch of, okay, so Keith, you're telling me that God is in control of every detail of everything in this world. So does it matter what I do? Does it matter if I pray? Does it matter if I believe? Does it matter if I obey God? But does my life and my actions really matter? You just got finished saying God's in control of every detail of life. All right, well, let's answer that by observing what they did. They absolutely believe that despotes, God is in control. They go back through creation, the revelation of God and his word. They pick up the scriptures that prophesied about this event. So they're just highlighting over and over again, God is absolutely in control here. And then what do they do? Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and you perform signs and wonders in our midst in the name of Jesus. What do they do in light of their understanding of the sovereign Lord? Well, they pray and they appeal to God. So apparently, knowing that God is sovereign doesn't produce in the people of God in Scripture some response that says, well, if God's so in control that we can be so comforted by that, then it doesn't matter what we do. No. Their awareness of that produced in them activity. It, it launched them into doing something and believing something in that moment. So much so that they laid a hold of God. Because you are that. I pray and I appeal to you to do these things for us in the midst of our lives. Right? That, that's what you find all over Scripture. Right? You, you just let, this re, let me read this to you or you can turn quickly to Colossians chapter 4. Paul's closing out his time writing to the Colossians and he appeals to them for prayer. Right? If, if there's anybody who understood the sovereignty of God, it's the Apostle Paul. Nobody writes more prolifically on God being in control of all things. And yet he turns around here to the Colossians and says, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Wear yourselves out, continuing to stand before God and appeal and call upon God to do something. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Do you understand? Paul is asking them, one, he's, he's beseeching them to stay in prayer. People of God, stay in prayer. It matters whether you pray. And pray for us that a door is going to be open. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Paul, what have you forgotten here, buddy? Jesus gave a commission to his followers to go into all the world. Jesus already opened the door, dude. The door is open. Go into all the world. Do you think Paul knew that? That this was the will of God, that he'd go into all the world. Paul gets knocked down, encounters God, and, and Jesus calls him into this apostleship and tells him to go. Opens the door for him to go in ministry, but yet he turns around and tells the Colossians, pray for us that a door will be opened. Do you understand I, I don't get paid to figure out those two statements. That God has opened the door and told his people to go through it, and then Paul has turned around and said, now pray for us to have a door open. 
I just get to obey what I see. These guys stood in Acts chapter 4 with an awareness that God was sovereign over every detail of life. And yet, they prayed and they appealed to God to do things in their lives, in their midst. Derek Thomas says, the doctrine of predestination is meant to bring assurance to God's people of the final victory God has over his enemies. If the future is contingent, listen, the future is contingent ultimately upon the fickleness of our will or ability, the possibility of assurance is impossible. If you're here today and you're thinking, I'm going I'm to make it to the end and stand before God in faith because I'm going to make sure I will my way there. You, you, come on, you smoking something? You want to you video playback of your life over the last week? How about just all the thoughts and what you've thought along the way? I mean, I, I don't inspire confidence that, that because of me, I'm going to make it. See, you transfer that in a bunch of ways. What, what if the people around you are a bunch of knotheads? And, and, and God's will has to come to pass in your life, right? God's got a will for you. God's got a purpose for you, for your life to go from here to here, from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. That's the will of God in your life. But if the cast of characters in your life are fickled, weird, don't get in agreement with God, you're going to transfer that same form of belief to your future and say, well, I don't know that I'm going from glory to glory because that dude there and her there and, and that little group over there, they're just so stinking weird. I mean, you just don't know the people in my life. I'm gonna, there's no way I'm going there. Do you understand? That's not where you start. That's where the threat came from. But where they started was sovereign Lord who took a bunch of uncooperative, self-motivated, sinful individuals and got them to play your song note for note exactly the way you wanted it played. That's who we call out to. Now, it's very interesting that the angle of their prayer here. Eric, you can go ahead and get ready to come back up. The angle of their prayer here. They pray a certain angle. You see it in the passage there? Are they're being threatened, but do you notice that they don't pray for protection? You notice that? They don't pray that God would wipe them all out. They don't pray for a new president. I mean, a high priest, I mean, certainly if you're, you know, God, if you're restoring things to Israel, there's just no way you can do that if that high priest continues to be the high priest any longer. They don't pray that. They pray that they would continue in the mission God has called their life to be on. That's what they pray about. Lord, let us continue. Let us continue in the mission you've called our lives to. Let us continue to boldly proclaim this news of the resurrected Christ who can save all who call upon him. God, let, let us not give in to fear and intimidation to where we fail to express the truth of the gospel through our lives. Listen, if I were to ask you right now, do, do an audit of 2012. Go back and do a prayer audit of 2012. What, what threatened you in 2012? Severely enough to where you begin to pray 
now consider what angle did you pray about that thing? I've, I've told you this before, and I have to constantly guard myself from it. The angle that constantly wants to be first in line for me. This is, you know, okay, time to pray. It's like little kids. They all run to get in line. I'm first in line. I'm first in line. Okay, how do we pray about this? Well, let's pray for peace and and safety and comfort. Let's pray for that. That's the first thing that I want to pray for for myself. Lord, this is painful. Make the pain go away. God, I don't see this. This is uncertain. God, make it certain for me. God, whatever you're going to do, Lord, make me feel safe. Make me feel comfortable. This is, this is disappointing, God. Would you lighten the sense of the weight of that for me? God, make my life feel better. That, that's the first thing that gets in line for me. Is that your first thing in line? But that's not first in line for them. First in line for them was, Lord, let the mission continue. Sovereign Lord, let the mission continue. Do you understand Sovereign Lord is about to bump into a story about Stephen in a chapter or two here? Stephen, who's going to be stoned to death as he boldly proclaims. And guess what? When the blood's dripping from that man's face, and he's gazing up into heaven, do you understand the same prayer can be prayed in that moment? Sovereign Lord. When James has his head cut off a couple of chapters after that, the same prayer can be prayed. Sovereign Lord. They didn't see this as a means of escaping all discomfort in this world. They recognized they were on a mission that would put them face to face with difficulty and discomfort. And they would pray about the things in their life and things that threatened them for the sake of God's glory and the mission that they were a part of. Listen, that that needs to inform the church. It needs to inform the angle upon which we pray. Now here's what they did, and here's what we're going to do. Take you back to when we walked through the series on tuning into the Spirit. And I want you to tune into the Spirit right now. I want the Holy Spirit to help you engage. This is a meeting where individuals, part of the church, had gone off to a meeting and they were threatened. And they came back to that meeting feeling threatened. I think that could describe a whole bunch of people here today. There's plenty of us who are considering that God has a future for my life, but I feel threatened right now. I don't, I'm not certain about that. There's a lot of fear. I'm intimidated. Don't know if it's going to come to pass. And you've come into this meeting. And when they got together, what did they do? They came to their friends, and I hope you feel like you are among friends here. Church needs to be that. Listen, if you're new to the church... At some point, you want to get beyond feeling like, hey, I'm just visiting a big group of people here. You want to be able to say, I'm among friends. I'm with people that I trust and know and who know me. That's what church needs to be. They went to their friends. They reported this. And then together, they lifted their voice. The individuals who just had the the rub marks of shackles around their wrist that had a little mileage on them from this event, stood face to face with opposition, gathered strength from the people that they were together with who in that situation looked heavenward and said, Sovereign Lord. And God met them in that meeting, didn't he? 
And we get to the end of this story, the Spirit of God fell upon these people. And they were filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. God filled them with a boldness for this threat that they faced. So here's what I want us to do today. You got something to write with, write this down. Consider for a moment, what, what is it that's threatening you? Let's, let me start there. Take a second, really. Hey, for those of you who don't take a second, when I say take a second in a service, let me just warn you about something. What's the old adage? It's not as though God has been tried and found wanting, but rather that God has been left untried just warn you, you sit in meetings like this over and over and over again. I made a joke with Pete earlier, said everybody who doesn't have a pen to fill out their form needs to come forward at the end of the service and repent. (laughs) Because that means you came to this meeting with no intention of writing anything down. Are you kidding me? Here's the danger, I'm serious. Be warned. You sit where God does stuff over and over and over and over again, and you don't engage what God is doing, at some point, you will begin to believe God's not real. And you will walk away from this setting. Your days in this kind of a setting are numbered. This is an important meeting for the people of God every week. When we gather together, the Holy Spirit meets with us. And He wants to engage our lives. And He wants to engage your life right now. So I'm asking you a question. Be real with God. Starting this year out, what's threatening you? How are you feeling threatened by life right now? By people, by circumstances, by stress, by brokenness in your body, by whatever it is. By habits that you love to start the new year new, but I've started the new year new dozens of times. I want to go right back into the stinking habits that have controlled my life. What's threatening you right now? All right, here's what needs to happen. That threat comes with words and presentation and intimidation, and you got to meet it with something. you got to meet it with what they met it with. The resume of God himself. That's where they started. I want you to do this right now because we're going we're gonna to actually have a prayer meeting today. For those of you who don't attend prayer meetings, I'm bringing them to you. Right, here's the reality, sad reality. Churches pretty well gather on Sunday mornings. They try to do something else as a church, small groups, Bible study, midweek thing. And typical churches get 10 to 20% of their Sunday morning. Then they try and do a prayer meeting and they get a handful of old ladies. So I'm bringing the prayer meeting to us. We're going we're gonna to have a prayer meeting right now. So life is threatening you. I want you right now to be thinking, what does the Bible say about God? I want you to think of a verse. I want you to let the Holy Spirit right now bring a verse to you. and Go look it up. Stare at it for a moment. Begin to consider it. Begin to lift it up before God in your heart. Sovereign Lord, you created. They, they went down God's resume. So this loud threat from life was met by a loud presentation of how big God is and how great God is and what promises God has made and how all these things that you've done, God, you can do right now. And lest lest you're tempted to think, well, he did that for them. They were in the Bible, for goodness sake. 
and special people in that gathering. There was apostles there, and Peter and James. And they didn't think that way. When they pulled up an example to comfort themselves, they pulled it out of Jesus' life. They didn't sit there and say, well, you were a sovereign Lord for Jesus. Well, of course, he's the anointed one. You've got to make sure his deal goes through. They didn't just ascribe that to Jesus. They took what God did in Jesus' life and said, that's for us. For us right now, feeling threatened by these situations. What you did on display for Jesus, we cling to what you will do for us. And that's what it means to be part of the family of God. God will do those things. All right, so you need your threatening circumstances. You need truth from God. You need prayer. And then you need bold, courageous actions. Whatever it is in your life that's threatening, you need to be able to stand in front of it and boldly do whatever God is telling you to do. Be courageous. Be confident that the sovereign Lord is in this circumstance. In a greater way than anything else, he's orchestrating. He's in control of it. Now, can I, can I do this? I'm going to put you on the spot here because we're going to wait on the Lord for a moment. In just a few moments, I'm, I'm going I'm to call some guys up. I'm not going to call anybody by name, so you're just going to need to sense the Spirit. <clears throat> and there's some of you here that are you're being threatened by finances and needs. And God right now is going to meet with you, and he's going to give you a sense of praying before him and laying a hold of some truth. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to come up and stand in this microphone and have some faith and to believe God for folks just like you who are in that same place, you and others. There's some here that have been controlled by habits that are in your life. I'm going to ask you to come up. And whatever the Lord just gives me to, to direct you to come up and pray for. And we're going to trust for the Holy Spirit to meet us with power. To fill us. Nobody's spectating, right? It's not a spectator church. Let's pray right now. Father, we're gathered together here with your body, with friends, Lord, with people who love you. Lord, we all walked in here beginning this new year. Many of us facing threatening situations. God, we've been having a conversation, a dialogue with difficulty. But Lord, together this morning, Lord, we want to we want to engage threatening moments in a normal, spirit-empowered way that we see here. That we want to be together. We want to call on you together. Lord, we want to borrow from the gathered strength of your church in corporate prayer. Spirit of God, we need you to fall upon our lives. We need you to fill us with the Spirit. God, it's not about us being sent out of here with some clever ideas alone. It's about your Spirit being poured out in us, awakening in us, giving us faith, boldness, courage to stand. Lord, I want, I want us all to be able to leave today facing the threatened situations of life with boldness and courage and confidence that my God is a sovereign God. He's at work. I trust Him. Lord, stir us right now. Spirit of God, stir us. Lead us. Lead us to pray. Anoint us to pray. God, we believe that there's mercy and grace to help in our times of need before your throne of grace. God, we're here to lay hold of it for our lives and for those that are here with us, part of our family together. 
Help us. Spirit of God, anoint us. Make this, a, make this an Acts chapter 4 prayer meeting, God. Fill us with your spirit to pray. God, fill us with your spirit to not cower. Lord, some of us are here this morning. We're cowering. Holy Spirit, fill us. Put wind in our sails, courage in our hearts to stand and fight the fight of faith. Stir us. Wondering around you, Lord. Glory and fire light the way. Day after day, the heavens proclaim the beauty of the Holy One. And we will with joy and a song your enemies rise your enemies fall your fire consumes them all there is none so categories. I'm going to ask you to come up and lead in prayer just for a moment in those places. 